the Canadian Military History Podcast. Music provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada and the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm Mike Lacroix, and today I'm pleased to interview one of my very good friends, Sergeant Greg Briggs from the Toronto Scottish Regiment 2 PPCLI, the Toronto Scottish Regiment 2 PPCLI, Toronto Scottish Re- All right. Well, that joke's only going to make sense if you know the guy that I'm talking about. If you were to define Greg Briggs, the best way to describe him is he is the army buddy. There is no person that has ever met Greg Briggs that wouldn't automatically define him as an army buddy. He's been in the recce platoon of 2 PPCLI. He was a young soldier in the Toronto Scottish Regiment in the primary reserves, and he developed into a senior NCO. One of the weird things about his military career is his his rank seemed to go up and down like a yo-yo, but through no fault of his own. He joined the Toronto Scottish in 1989. He attained the rank of sergeant, And then at the time, there was no type of equivalency. So after taking one of the toughest leadership courses the military has ever put on, and I do have to put a caveat with that, uh, that I know of, he ended up doing a component transfer into the regular force into the PPCLI, the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry, and specifically the 2nd Battalion. After that, he reverted to the rank of corporal, and from there, he had to earn his way back up to the rank of master corporal, And when he came back to the Army Reserve, in the funniest set of circumstances, they offered him the rank of Master Corporal. So after serving as a sergeant in Toronto Scottish, he returns after doing almost a decade in the regular force. He comes back to the reserves at the rank of Master Corporal and has to earn his way back into the rank of sergeant. Luckily, he didn't have to take any other courses, but still, we were very glad to welcome him back to the sergeant's mess. Life took him in a different direction. He went off to the Bruce Peninsula area of the province of Ontario. So without any further ado, here's uh, my interview with Sergeant Greg Briggs. Sergeant Briggs, welcome to the podcast. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So you've had a chance to look at all the questions and review them. You and I go way back, so it seems that I already know some of the answers, but hopefully you're going to surprise me. I know you're a great storyteller, so I know that we're going to have to pause to get some tissues and and wipe our eyes after we laugh until we cry. So this is going to be great. I've really been looking forward to this. Let's kick it off with the very first question, which I was there to witness, so let's kick it off. Why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? Well, like it's actually pretty funny. Actually, when I first joined, as you well know, uh, you got all the, the rest of our group of friends had already joined, and I was a pretty uh, dead set in not joining. And I was sort of the last in the group to get in on the uh, fun, as uh, as you would say. One day, you guys invited me to come down to the Toronto Scottish, the reserve unit that uh, you were all parading with. So I show up in a pair of jeans and a pink and dark blue ski coat and looking the part. I'll never forget that ski coat. 
Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely one to be seen, one to be had. I kept it for quite a while, actually, to tell you the truth. It was a good piece of dress-up kit when you were going to a party. <laughs> so anyways, I was standing there, and you guys are drawing weapons from the uh, armory, and I didn't know what it was at that time. I just knew it was a room, and guns were coming out, and I thought it was pretty cool. And I can remember standing there watching you guys getting the guns and thinking, yeah, right on, that's pretty cool. And uh, on the schedule was pugil stick fighting or like, it was bayonet drills. or and At the time, I didn't have a clue really what was going on. And I was standing there, and uh, this guy who seemed to be in charge sort of came out of the vault and said, uh, hey, who are you, and what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just visiting. I'm here to just sort of see what happens. He said, well, nobody just visits here. You're going to participate. Went back in and grabbed a gun and sort of threw it at me. And that was when you saw that I was sort of like a deer in the headlights and came right over, grabbed a hold of me and said, here, here, look, you got to do this and you got to do that and check it to make sure it's clear and all the rest of it. And I didn't have a schmeck. Not that I'd never touched a gun, but that particular gun was was, uh, was something I wasn't familiar with. And it, at the time, it was the FN C1, and it was a bit of a beast. And if you didn't treat it with the respect it was due, it could uh, it could hurt you pretty good. So I remember you going through the drills with me, and I was pretty keen and, you know, took my fancy pink coat off and put it on the side. And we get into the business, and you guys start doing all the stuff. We do a warm-up. And, then, you know, at the time, the instructor steps out there, and he's full of piss and vinegar and all the rest of it. Turns out he's like a medic or something like that. But he's seriously kicked some serious ass and showed us how to you know do the whole thing oh that was uh sergeant rob angus oh that was that was angus that's who it was exactly yeah and i remember thinking, the guy in the arsenal was craig matsky that's right it was craig, sergeant craig matsky. that's right i remember that him saying specifically nobody comes here to just watch any the whole show so we get into it and we're doing the business and the whole nine yards we go through all the drills and the bayonet and dodge and carry and slash and butt stroke and smash and it's really pretty fun i'm pretty fired up so it gets to the end, and then we're going to actually apply the skills. And it's something was completely foreign to me. It was just, to me, it was just go, 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 go. Later on, I learned why and how it all worked. But at the time, it was just about killing and fighting and the whole nine yards. And it was becoming something that I was sort of into, just in, in, in an hour or two. So I remember we get everybody around. And then right out of the movies, it's pugil sticks. It's football helmets. It's sticks that look like big Q-tips. And you're, you know, you got a hold of a special way, and you got to attack the guy. And I can remember laying a beating on a couple guys, beginner's luck, whatever, didn't want to look bad. And then I remember taking a serious kick and thinking, oh, this is pretty good. So it all ends up and we put stuff away and we're all good to go. Thinking, okay, it's the end of the night and you guys are like, oh no, let's go to the mess. I'm like, the mess? What's the mess? He goes, oh, you'll see the mess. We get up there and we go upstairs. And you guys are all lined up and you're forming up and you're banging your foot down and you're going through this door. Above the door, it's the stonies. All right, cool. The mess. I don't have no idea. So I go in, and I don't bang my foot down or nothing. Take a little bit of a rise. Well, that's cool. I get it. I was in jeans and a pink jacket. I had my pink jacket back on. Mistake. Pink jacket <laughs> in an army mess. Junior ranks mess. It didn't go over too well right away. Again, well, learning curve. And then it happened. The moment where I had almost pretty much secured and made the decision that I was going to join the army. Yeah, I know what's coming. Not a word of a lie. And I'm not going to incriminate anybody or any time. And though it was a long time ago, I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations sort of runs out on those sort of things. But at the time, needless to say, I was 18. The drinking age in this province may not have been at that exact age limit. And I can remember going up to the mess and going into the bar and saying to the man, yeah, I'd love to have a Molson dry. It was dry at the time of that funky swirl. <laughs> <That's in there. laughs> and it was the big beer back then. I said, I'll have a dry guy asked me how old I was. I said, uh, 18. Well, you're old enough to serve. You're old enough to drink. And then I, you know, pulled up my money and he said it was 75 cents. 
And pretty much that was the moment, the deciding moment in my brain right there where I said, this organization is for me. I just got to kick the shit out of people. I got done in. I learned some stuff. And now beer cost me 75 cents and they're willing to serve me. And the next day I called Kevin Tripp, who was the recruiting NCO at that point in time, and made arrangements to join the Toronto Scottish Regiment. That is the true reason why I joined the Army. <laughs> Excellent. So what year was that? Uh, I believe it was in September of 1989. September yep. or October of 89, I'm pretty sure. That was a while back. That was, that was pretty far back because I was still in high school. I was in just graduating that year at the end of that, the end of uh, 89, 90. Yeah. So that's kind of stepping into one of the follow-on questions. So what were you like when you joined? When I look back and I, I, I think I thought I was, I was an athletic guy. I was in school, long hair was a bit of a craze. It wasn't too short at that particular time. I didn't count it like long and shaggy, like a ponytail long. It wasn't a greasy long hair as we like to affectionately refer to the nice. But, you know, I was a trendy guy. I liked to ski, had the colorful, like again, the pink coat the whole show it belonged to a pretty solid group of friends all of you guys and we'd grown up together before we were old enough and joined the army we had done scouting and things like that before i wasn't the the smart guy i was about the you know physical things and doing things and being outside and carrying a backpack and all the rest of it sort of thing but the one thing i remember about myself and what i was like is that at the point and that's why i didn't want to join is because i wasn't into people telling me what to do and, and <laughs> taking direction from people I didn't know yelling at me and do this and do that and do that. And that subsequently came to light a little bit later on through course reports and when I was going through my basic training and going through infantry training and whatnot. All of that stuff came to light and people told me that I wasn't into that. People said to me, you know, you got to work on this, you don't take direction well, da 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 and that happened, and I just I knew that, and that was the reason why. And then it was it was reiterated to me on more than one occasion, multiple times, by different people saying you're not really into taking direction very well. And then you think about it, and in hindsight, it's kind of shocking that I stayed. I must have changed somewhere along the line. Right, it was one of those things. That's what I was like for sure. I wasn't really into taking direction. So, do you remember what the world was like when you joined? Yeah, and I was thinking about that. Just to put it into context in 1989. When I think about it back then, the situation where we were at was the big sort of situation or the thing that you were going to do as a reservist on a tour that you were going to go on and what was happening then was we were the regular army was still doing full-on rotations into uh, Germany. Guys were battalions, regular infantry battalions were spending time in Germany. And then the tours that were operationally available to most guys were things like Namibia and Africa and Cyprus. And uh, not so much that we would hear about the Golan Heights, but those were the kind of tours that were available. That's sort of the era or the genre of where we were at. We were nowhere where we were at right now that we were readily knew about or anything like that, but that was where we were at. We were on peacekeeping missions and the world was a, a grossly different place than it is right now. Because I can remember certain guys like uh, Bruce Mayer and John Nell, they were in Namibia right sort of when I joined because I didn't know who they were and guys talked about them. And then they'd come back from Namibia under, they were with the UN in, in Namibia, so they had their big floppy blue blueberry berets on. Because I remember seeing the pictures, but that was sort of the, the era or the genre where I remember guys doing their business. Yeah, that's about what I can recall. It was a long time ago, and I wasn't really, again, I was a high school kid. I wasn't really into what the world was telling me to do. I was more about where the next good time was and where we go on exercise or what I was on course or was I shooting this or what 
gas mask training or whatever we were doing, that's for sure. Yeah. So what was your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or in the Canadian Army? Mike, quite honestly, I know that the podcast is set up to be a certain amount of time, and we could probably talk for three days about memorable memorable occurrences. And I can, I've sort of sort of thought about it, and I've tried to put it in perspective. And I've tried to figure out some of the times that were really good, because there's memorable moments and there's good memorable moments that are really good times, and then there's memorable moments, in my opinion, where there are times where it's where you think it's the worst time of your whole life, where you would do anything and give anything to not be in the location where you're at right now. For whatever reason, whether or not you were taking incoming fire or you were freezing cold or you were too hot or whatever it was. So I've I've looked at it from that perspective. And then it led me to the next thought was I had two military careers. I had a reserve career and I had a regular army military career. So I had both both sides of the coin. So then again, there was my best reserve moment and there was my best regular force moment. So when I think back, I think about the reserves and I think probably one of my most memorable, influential times and things that I mem- memories that I have would be the first leadership course that I ever went on as a primary reservist. And that was the Reserve Non-Commissioned Officer Training Plan. And that was basically what they called the acronym was RINTIP, and it happened in Petawala. That was probably, without a doubt in my reserve time, one of the most memorable moments because of, if not just the instructors on it, the whole concept of operations for that course. And I've talked to lots of people that were in the regular army at that time that were stationed in PET or were working in standards or around and understood the concept. And when you think back, the whole idea was they would take a group of individuals from the primary reserve, however number were course-loaded, and on our particular course, I think it was 40 or 45. And in 16 weeks, they would take you from being a private with just basic training to graduating from the phase of basically being on an infantry section commander's course, which would allow you to become a master corporal, promotable to the rank of master corporal. In our particular course, the concept was you got promoted to master corporal on graduation from course. And for the listeners that are military veterans or current military members, understanding the concept of the amount of training, the amount of time, the amount of opportunity, the amount to learn, the amount to take negative criticism, positive criticism, all those things to get from private to master corporal, and to say that they were going to do it in 16 weeks is it seems insurmountable. So when I look at it, I think, well, we started with between 40 and 45. I can't remember the exact number. We had three extremely large sections. And by the time the summer had graduated down, four people graduated, of which I was not one. I was medically returned to unit, so I was RTU'd with a a very latter stage of the course for a medical condition that uh, I had no choice but to go. The Army offered me the opportunity to stay and fight through the pain and they would help me by, you know, giving me the, the good bits, maybe some Motrin and what they could to get me through. But ultimately, I had suffered an injury that needed to be seen by a professional doctor to be able to make sure that it wasn't going to cause me insurmountable or permanent damage down the road. So that was probably one of the most influential moments. And there's instructors like uh, Mark Godfrey from the RCR. Uh, there was Sergeant Tibbetts from the RCR. And my section commander, who, you know, rest in peace, is no longer on the planet with us, who was Sergeant J. Tamerl Bearish from one commando of the Canadian Airborne Regiment. That particular fellow right there was a very influential person in my career and that he was the first person who I ever saw as a leader who I had a chance to mimic or to pattern with how I was going to pick up some skills. J. Tamerl Bearish is a, is a machine or a, is a man unto himself. 
again, for your listeners and people that may or may not remember, Gaetan was one of the individuals who was at the Oka crisis. And there's a picture, a well-Canadian renowned history picture of Gaetan and a Native member standing face to face. There's two pictures of that type. There's one of the private with a masked individual, and there's one of Gaetan in the same sort of situation face to face with one of those guys. And there was other guys from our unit, from the Toronto Scottish, who were in my section. And on that course, guys like uh, Sean Krug, Andreas Haas, Frank Wells. There was a number of us on that course, so I wasn't by myself. We had a group that we could rest on and lean on. And Sean uh, was in my section, and he happened to be in the bunk space directly beside me. And I can remember on more than one occasion between myself and Sean feeling the brunt of gay tank, basically putting it to us, for lack of a better term, <laughs> shaving creams, pulling our arms to the maximum, the can almost being empty, taking our parade boots and throwing them into the garbage can so hard that they almost folded in half and it took three guys to get your boot out of the garbage. I can remember Sean standing there with an armful of shaving cream and taking his water bottle and pouring it over the top of his head <laughs> because Gaetan had heard a sound in his water bottle and it was water bottles full day on inspection as opposed, as opposed to water bottles empty day. So that particular individual was a guy who uh, factored pretty hard in my initial initial things and things that I remember in the very beginning or moments that I remember. Then skip forward a couple of years and opportunities that came about on travel. I was asked to go on a rotation to go over and work with the London Scottish Regiment, our sister unit in, in England. And I traveled overseas and I did that tour or that exercise and had the opportunity to teach some jocks from the London Scottish, went to a mess dinner or a mess function there, you know, really memorable moment. And then I think about the point where I made the decision. I was a senior NCO. I was working in the recruiting office. I was sending guys away. There was a huge need or a glut, as they would say, in the regular army. And I was also having to work back at the unit on my days when I was working on the nights when we were parading. So I made the decision that I was going to join the regular army process and had to put the process of paperwork through. And that was another, the next sort of major memorable moment is making the decision, going through the process, and then getting an offer. And I had made the decision that I wanted to go to one PPCLI. I did not want to go to the 2nd Battalion in Winnipeg. I wanted to go to the 1st Battalion in Calgary or the 3rd Battalion out on the West Coast that was just newly going to be standing up. And I got offered the 2nd Battalion. And initially, I turned it down the first time because I didn't want to go to Winnipeg. So I just, you know, didn't like the thought of going to Winnipeg. And I can remember you and me talking about it and you actually saying, you know, you should look at it and think about it. Think about it again if the offer comes up. And that was the point where they took all those quick picks, if you remember, into the regular army. And there was, uh, yeah. before me in the summer, just before the beginning of the summer, they took, I believe the 2nd Battalion received over 150 quick picks in one big intake. They all went there. And I finally took the deal and I went to battalion by myself. And I went to battalion in June of 1994 is when I finally joined the regular army. And my offer was pretty good. I, I went from sergeant down to corporal. I got corporal four as my offer. Um, so the pay went up. My regular force pay was more than what I was making as a senior NCO as a reservist. My responsibility went down and so away I went to the 2nd Battalion. Arrived on a Friday and was supposed to be picked up by the duty NCO who promptly forgot and I took a cab to battalion and got jacked up that afternoon in my suit, turned up with my kit bag jacked up by the duty NCO in front of the battalion headquarters. Went to the barracks, got introduced to the guys, and that night promptly went out, toured Winnipeg, and got absolutely faced 
at all the watering holes that were familiar to two PPCLI guys. Yeah. And that was it. I was gone and I was away to the regular army. So then think about the formal moments then and forming moments and memorable moments in two PPCLI. I was in Charlie Company and that fall I went on my driver track course so I learned how to drive armored vehicles which was phenomenal I'm this ex-reserve guy I'm away to the races I'm in two PPCLI I'm driving tracks it's fantastic our company was going to the Arctic and we went to the Arctic at the last week of October and the first two or three weeks of November of that year in 94 go to the Arctic great opportunity and then as luck has it my section commander who was a good guy ends up injuring his neck and can't do the final exercise and me the new corporal with a section of new guys that we just taken in from uh, the PPCLI battle school just before we went away I end up now being the 2IC of a regular force section after being in 2 PPCLI for roughly about seven minutes it equated to is what it felt like <laughs> <laughs> right after I take over, we promptly have a piece of serialized kit go missing in the Arctic out of my section. Needless to say, I was pulled aside by the OC and my platoon commander and sergeant major, required to write a set of orders for an operation that would take me and my section tromping all over the Arctic, backpedaling on our path forward on the advance to try and find said serialized piece of kit in snow that had been snowing for probably five or six weeks and was already four or five, six feet deep in the Arctic. So I ran a mission with seven guys by myself looking for this piece of kit to no avail and not finding it. While the rest of our company was off on a company attack, probably 10 or 12K to the west of us, I was with my section in the middle of the Arctic checking in with the OC and the Sergeant Major by comms. So I think about those little tiny things that are really blips but are you know memorable moments and say hey wow this is pretty serious unfortunately my server has an upload limit and i've just discovered that so i'm going to have to divide up greg's interview into two parts this is part of the growing pains and the learning curve that i have i have to experience doing this podcast and i hope it's not too much of a disturbance to the listeners but don't worry sergeant greg briggs will be right back Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. NTAG music is provided by the Governor General's Horse Guards. This is a Mike LaCroix production. Views and opinions expressed on the Canadian Military History Podcast are those of the guests of the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views of Michael Lacroix Productions, the Canadian Armed Forces, or the Government of Canada. All recordings are copyright Mike Lacroix Productions.